0: Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is Reset. Mayor Lori Lightfoot delivered her first budget address yesterday, laying out her ideas for closing the city's $838 million budget gap. We will put everything on the line and fight with everything that we
1: have to make sure that every Chicagoan, every Chicagoan, in every neighborhood, regardless of zip code, regardless of race, color, or creed, has the opportunity to thrive today and all days to come.
0: The plan includes a variety of spending cuts and hundreds of millions of dollars in new revenues. Today, we brought the mayor into the Reset Studio to answer questions from us and from listeners. Of course, the teacher's strike is now in day six, so we kick things off with where she sees negotiations at this point with both the teachers union and SEIU, the union representing school support staff.
1: Well, SEIU, Local 73, there's really nothing going on. Their leadership and and bargaining team effectively told us that they will not bargain with us. They will not reach conclusion until CTU does. So unfortunately, as a result of that choice that the leadership of that union made, there's really nothing to report uh, because we're not uh, we're really not meeting with them.
0: What about with CTU?
1: Our CTU, we continue to meet, but we're we're not making the kind of progress that we need to be able to bring the strike to resolution anytime soon. They told us both pre-strike and during the strike, that the two big issues are class size and um, staffing. We have given them written counter-proposals building on the discussions that have taken place, the balls in their court, um, but they haven't responded. We were told late last night, again, that we would actually get a response um, from them today but we're, we're still waiting.
0: So the sticking point, uh, while there is language included in the contract addressing those issues, it, it's the money uh, to enforce those measures. So explain where the city and CPS comes down on that money question. Well, it's
1: not really necessarily just the money. And the two issues are really very different. So let me take them one at a time. There's already something in the contract that addresses uh, class size. And I, and I hasten to add, for over 80% of the classes across the uh, system at every grade level There is no issue regarding class sizes. So we're talking about a finite group of classes, and the union has asked for us to respond to those schools with um, kids who um, are really struggling, uh, particularly in uh, communities of color, to make sure that we're um, having particular remedies on class size for those. We have done that. We've given them a written proposal, and we're waiting to hear from them. Staffing is a different issue. They've asked for more teachers, more counselors, more case managers, We passed a budget at the end of August that guaranteed that, not only for this year, but we made a commitment, orally I have said it, Dr. Jackson has said it, that we're committed for the long haul over the life of what is proposed to be a five-year contract. The challenge is the pipeline. We have a nurses shortage, and we have shortages in all those other categories, so we committed $400,000 every year. Um, during the life of the contract, just to work on pipeline issues, so we have a written proposal that memorializes all the things that we've committed to. We've said we will put this in the contract. We're waiting on the union to respond. So, is money not a problem in this contract? I don't know that money is the the, the problem. We're dealing with a host of other issues that the union puts on the table that some of which obviously have dollar signs around them. But this isn't the typical strike where, hey, we want more money and you're not giving us more money. That's not what the dynamic is at all. That wasn't what the dynamic was uh, leading to the strike. That wasn't hasn't been the dynamic that's animated discussions. Now, to be clear, I've said CPS, and they understand, has to live within its means. And the CTU has a uh, overall proposal that would cost $2.4 million billion dollars and that's billion with a b we can't even talk about uh, anything that looks like those numbers because the money's just simply not there for that we know that we need to do a better job and continue to focus on equity to make sure that we've got the supports in the classroom so that teachers and students are able to thrive but we've got to be realistic about what that means keep in mind cps is barely two years removed from almost insolvencies. We're still borrowing at CPS $700 million every single year just to keep the lights on. There isn't some big pot of money waiting to be distributed. That is not a real thing. So whatever it is that we're talking about has to be done within the framework of the reality of CPS's budget.
0: Let's go to the phones. We have Jessica in Pilsen. Jessica, you're a CPS teacher on the South Side. What's your question? Hi, thank you so much. My question relates twofold. One is that by basic calculation, because teachers are not being paid uh, during the strike and are not being paid to strike, as um, Mayor Lightfoot has made clear, um, that is saving the city at this point right over $40 million um, based on the number of teachers and our average daily pay. What is the city going to do with this money, and can this money be used towards what we're asking for for our students and for our community. Jessica, thanks for that call. Mayor Lightfoot?
1: Well, I'm not sure that her her numbers are actually accurate. Um, I don't believe it's $40 million a day. Um, And obviously, when we're not paying teachers and support staff, it's not like there's this big windfall. The dollars in CPS are tight, and we are using those dollars to do things like Um, provide infrastructure improvements that are much needed. We've got schools that need new roofs, that need laboratories, and a lot of other infrastructure needs. We've got schools. I was down on the southeast end of of the city where literally we don't have HVAC. They're pumping it in outside. So there's a lot of other needs that go into uh, CPS aside from the compensation for teachers and um, support staff.
0: Give us a clearer picture of the debt CPS is carrying right now and how that fits in, into this conversation?
1: Well, I don't have that number at my fingertips. But we can certainly get that to you. But as I said, they're borrowing $700 million every single year, which obviously um, means that their debt service is increasing every single year because of the necessity of borrowing.
0: Well, as the strike rolls on, uh, CTU is talking about equity in the district, ensuring that kids across the city have access to the same resources. And and from the campaign trail to your budget address yesterday, you've said equity is a framework for your administration. So I think many people are surprised that this is where we are. Where is the breakdown happening? Well, uh, you'd really have to ask CTU that. I think we put a very fair, fair deal
1: on the table. We put a deal on the table. Um, that at a minimum is a 16% increase for teachers over the life of the contract. And looking at the average teacher, that's actually going to be a 24% increase with steps and lanes and seniority. Meaning that at the end of that four years, or sorry, five years, um, the teacher will make almost $100,000. We um, responded to SEIU 73, who said, "Please look at our lowest paid workers and do something for them." We put very fulsome uh, proposals on the table that, had they signed, the deal would have meant an immediate 9% increase in the paychecks of those workers right away. But as I said, they told us they value their political relationship with CTU more than they do getting a deal done. So unfortunately, we're not going to be able to bring that to closure. We're still going to do the right thing by these workers. We know that we have to uplift the quality of their lives. But you're right, it is ironic that we're talking about equity. CPS has an, a chief equity officer. CPS based its budgeting and its infrastructure investments based on equity, those schools that are most in need. I think we share values, but the devil's in the details. But fundamentally, what we need from them is to step up this sense of urgency, come back and respond to the
0: 10-plus proposals that we put on the table that still have not been addressed. Let's go back to the phones. We have Ryan in Hyde Park. Ryan, what's your question? Um, I have a question about how uh, CPS is uh, handcuffed, to city politics. The suburban schools, in terms of their functioning, they are independent of their local municipalities. And I'm curious
1: how the mayor can continue to justify CPS being within the umbrella of city government when everything within the umbrella of city government is affected by city politics. Could the mayor possibly offer an objective
0: reason how CPS would be better off if it were independent from the mayor's office? Ryan, thanks for that call.
1: Well uh Ryan, thanks for calling in but i I think I have to push back on the notion that everything about CPS is caught up with city politics. That's just simply not true. We have very experienced professional educators who are at the table running CPS. Dr. Jackson uh, herself was a CPS student. Um, She came through the ranks as a teacher, then a principal, an administrator to be now the the head of uh, of CPS. Same with Dr. Tanya McDade. We've got real experienced people who are running this district every single day. We made sure that we put in place a school board that weren't just rub- a rubber stamp that were people that were known because of their life's work as being independent uh, thinkers Um, experts on a range of different issues related to uh, public school education. So the facts are actually quite different than what the caller suggests. Yeah, we all have to live within our means, and that's absolutely 100% true. But I think CPS is living those values um, every single day, and I have a lot of faith and confidence um, in the leadership of CPS to make sure that they're, they're putting first and foremost what is in the best interest of our young people, the 360,000 CPS students um, who call CPS home every single day.
0: I wonder if... Structurally, though, if there's something that needs to shift, we've heard from teachers, we hear from parents in our own reporting that there are issues. Classes are, are overcrowded. Um, there are special needs students that don't have access to a nurse as regularly as they should. Is there a larger question here that needs to be answered outside of what's happening in the strike well, about how CPS functions?
1: There is a larger um, question, but we are answering that. Again, if you go back and look at the budget that was passed back at the end of August, I where we put 200 plus new um, nurses, case managers for special ed kids, and also counselors. We are addressing those larger um, systemic issues and issues that inform equity, issues that inform the quality of the instruction um, that students get, and also the kind of supports that are needed uh, for those students that are living in neighborhoods where they are traumatized by violence, where they're bringing um, their life experience um, into the classroom with them. If you look at in detail at the CPS budget that was passed, it cries out as one, that speaks to the needs of the students and the communities and about equity. We put a moratorium on charter schools. We said we're not going to close any more schools. So all of those things that are the bigger kind of macro issues that are always swirling around and inside of CPS, we've addressed those things and more. Do you think some of the teachers have
0: legitimate concerns, though, about things like class size? Of, of,
1: course, of course, which is precisely why we have been trying to meet their specific needs with written proposals that address them. But again, I have to to say 80% of the classes system-wide don't have any issues regarding class size. But for the ones that do, we absolutely have to address it. There's already a mechanism in the existing contract to do that. CTU has said, not good enough. We need more. And so we have come to the table with fulsome written proposals on how
0: to do that. But we need the CTU to respond. Let's go back to the phones. We have Paul in Pilsen. Paul, what's your question? So I'm a nurse in the emergency department at the University of Illinois Chicago Hospital. And I was wondering why you haven't
1: committed to having a nurse in every school every day. Not Uh true. Not true. We absolutely have done that. That's why we passed our budget at the end of August, where we said we will build that um, in. There's a statewide nursing shortage. The issue isn't our commitment. Our commitment is there. We resolve. The issue is, how do we build the pipeline to make sure that that happens? So I really encourage you to go to cps.edu forward slash our offer, which lays out our commitment on issues of nurses, of counselors, of case managers, and much, much more in detail Please educate yourself by going to cps.edu forward slash our offer. It's all there in detail. We update it on a regular basis. Everything that we've committed to is right there in writing. And just to be clear, is there money also allocated for those positions? Uh, Of course, there's money allocated for those positions. We passed that in our budget at the end of August, again. We made our commitment very, very clear. We put it in writing, and more to the point, we put our money where our mouth was. We committed an additional $400,000 over and above that every single year to help us build the pipeline. And the thing that we've asked of CTU, partner with us to make that happen. I'm still waiting for Jesse Sharkey
0: to get back to me. We have Joe in Andersonville with a question about the budget. Joe, go ahead. So my question is about trying to raise progressive revenue for Chicago. Chicago used to have a corporate head tax, and reinstating this tax could raise over $100 million to invest in things like affordable housing and mental health services. My question for the mayor is, why was reinstating the corporate head tax not in your budget proposal?
1: As you may know, the um, corporate head tax was ended some years ago, and I think the concern then and the concern that I have is not only – um, with whether or not we actually raise those revenues, but the concern is um, whether or not we 'd be driving businesses out of the city. we need to make sure that we have a city that welcomes businesses and their employees, um, and the concern is that by reimposing a corporate head tax, we would um, be sending a message to businesses and some employees that they 're not welcome in Chicago. The other concern I have is many Chicagoans um, commute outside of the city every single day for their employment. And if we impose a corporate head tax, there's nothing to to stop those municipalities where our workers uh, work from imposing a a head tax on them. So we think that we can – we have put together a budget under uh, these very difficult circumstances that strikes the right balances, that does have progressive forms of revenue, that um, gives us structural reform. Over 60 percent of this budget – is with structural solutions, meaning not one-timers, but things that are going to last and be able to get us not only structurally balanced, but also to help us start to climb um, the pension ramp for our four pension funds that are, are underfunded.
0: You laid out your plan to close the budget gap $838 million, and it includes a mix of spending cuts and new revenue. I think good news for a lot of people listening was that no new large property tax increase for 2020. There was a small increase that will go towards public libraries. What specifics can you give us on that small increase? What should taxpayers expect?
1: Based upon the average taxpayer, uh, the average homeowner, we're looking at about $46 a year. Um, which what we've heard from people all over the city is we want more expanded library services. And in particular, um, this will be going to um, hire the additional personnel that we need to um, have Sunday hours all across the city. So we felt like $46 um, to the average um, homeowner uh, was a small, um, was a modest increase um, that most people won't even feel.
0: Let's go through some of the spending cuts included mm-hmm. in the budget, um, starting with your plan to refinance the city's debt to mm-hmm. save about $200 million. Mm-hmm. Unpack that for us a bit.
1: Well, look, it's, it's it very um, much like um, homeowners who refinance their mortgage. Interest rates are really low right now. Um, and we looked at that and thought, we can save by refinancing um, some of our debt. We'll look at other uh, debt along the way. But it made sense to us, given how low interest rates were, to take advantage of that and the, the net of that is, we believe, $200 million in savings to the city.
0: But is there risk attached to that plan? No,
1: it's just simply refinancing the debt.
0: Now, you also plan to merge some city departments uh, to build in more efficiencies. Explain that.
1: Well, one of the uh, biggest things that we've done is we're proposing an office of public safety administration. What we saw is from police to fire to OEMC, that they all had the same kind of redundant administrative services, whether it's HR, whether it's IT, whether it's medical. In many instances, particularly around IT, they were sharing services but still had separate infrastructure built up. Our idea is let's combine those, win efficiencies there, and I think the biggest bonus is putting more police and fire personnel back into the neighborhoods where they can do the most good.
0: Now, you also said you don't plan any layoffs, um, but you will be cutting vacancies from the city. About how many jobs are we talking about closing?
1: Um, I believe that the total is about 252 vacancies that are are cut across the city, across various agencies. Most of the uh, departments carry a certain level of vacancies every year. We ask them, What do you need to actually deliver your core services? We started a process known as zero-based budgeting where we looked at what is the mandate for each of these departments based upon uh, the ordinance and how do you get there to do it efficiently, effectively, not cut services, not um, see any diminution in the quality of services, and what personnel do you actually need to be able to get that done. Let's go back to the phones. We
0: have Eugenia in Hyde Park. What's your question? My question is what's the – on um, increasing the parking downtown what's behind that the parking is so much already expensive now so why add more to uh for a person to come downtown for parking thanks for that question eugenia
1: thank you for that question um the reason is is that the the parking rate hasn't been raised in a number of years. It's a modest increase, um, but we believe that it's appropriate. We have a responsibility under the parking meter deal, dare I say it, where um, we have to do what's called a true-up every year. We've spent almost $100 million just in the last four or five years, and we're trying to offset that by having a modest increase in the downtown area during certain hours. So we believe that that was a prudent thing for us to do.
0: Another fee increase you have proposed is on Lyft and Uber. Yes. Rides, you're estimating forty seven million dollars. Explain that decision.
1: Well, well, essentially, Uber and Lyft have had free reign in the city since this market really developed, and we've seen the consequence of that, which is the decimation of um, our taxi cab industry. What we also know is that there's enormous congestion downtown. Um, we don't have a rush hour that period of congestion really exists almost all day. And what we also saw based upon our data is that we had a lot of single riders coming primarily from the north side into the central business district. What we want to do is incentivize people to actually do real shared um, rides, um, but also to use other uh, forms of transportation, particularly uh, public transportation. So we are trying to um, increase um, the amount of fares look for those who are um, involved in single rides. We're um, incentivizing more ride share, meaning multiple people, particularly neighborhood to neighborhood outside of the central um, business um, district. Now, we've gotten a lot of pushback from Uber and Lyft to be sure. Um, and they're Trying to pose their their concern now as uh, equity uh, and and harm to neighborhoods. I think that's a lot of nonsense. The reality is, the multi-million dollar owners of Uber and Lyft um, have make money um, hand over fist. They, they drive in our streets, they pollute our air, they um, use our infrastructure, and it's time for them to step up and pay their fair share. If they're really concerned about equity, what they need to focus on is improving the conditions for their drivers and not pass on cost after cost to the drivers, but to be fair and make sure that their workers are, um, have better working conditions.
0: And for passengers who say it's already so expensive to get around the city, what do you say to them?
1: Well, I think that there are cheaper ways to do it, which is public transportation. We've got an extensive bus network. We've got an extensive train network. We're trying to make sure that we are using environmentally friendly modes of transportation that cut down on congestion and pollution. Let's go back
0: to the phones. We have Elliot in River North. Elliot, what's your question? I'm Mary Lightfoot. Uh, I noticed that you're in your speech. You're going to have an uh, office of the environment yes. for air quality and water quality. Yes. I was wondering if there's any plans in Chicago for solar or battery storage?
1: Yeah, yes. Look, unfortunately, when the Department of Environment was disbanded, we really lost our way. The kind of things that the city of Chicago should be leading on from solar, from the green economy, um, looking at our lakes and being not just a city but a regional leader on those issues, all of those important things around environment and environmental justice, holding polluters responsible. We lost our way. So we're reconstituting an office of environment that will report directly to me and making sure that we step up and show leadership on all these important environmental issues. And the green economy, particularly solar and wind, are absolutely going to be part of that office's portfolio.
0: In the speech yesterday, you talked about not being able to close this budget gap on your own, that you needed support from Springfield. What kind of conversations are you having with lawmakers
1: in Springfield? Extensive conversations from the governor and his team uh, to the legislative leaders and their staff, as well as individual legislators. I will be making yet another round of calls um, to reach out to folks. The two key issues that we're focused on are fixing uh, the tax structure for the casino. Why that's important is because that will give us a structural solution for the police and fire pensions to really bring them into solvency. We're looking at 260 million dollars every year that goes across the board in, in Indiana. We need to repatriate those resources here. The other thing that we're focused on in Springfield is a progressive real estate transfer tax. What we and we propose to do is give City of Chicago homeowners, buyers, and sellers a reduced cost. To selling, we know that the vast majority of people sell their homes for under five hundred thousand dollars. We want to cut the rate for them and give them relief, and then gradually ramp up so that higher income real estate, commercial real estate, actually pays more of its fair share. Doesn't make sense to us that it's a ten million dollar property or a hundred million, hundred thousand dollar bungalow has the same rate of taxation. We want to change that around.
0: I want to turn back to Springfield. The Mm -hmm. veto session starts Monday. Yes. Are you? Hoping to see, do you expect to see movement on some of these proposals uh, starting with the veto session? Yeah,
1: I mean, obviously we haven't waited till the veto session starts to make sure that we're actively engaging uh, all the relevant stakeholders on the two issues that are a priority for us that's fixing the casino taxation and a real estate transfer tax. Those conversations have been ongoing for really since the summer Um, Once we got the feasibility study that determined that a a Chicago casino under the current uh, tax structure couldn't be financed, and those conversations have intensified in the last few
0: weeks. So that's ongoing. If Springfield doesn't come through, what does that mean for Chicago?
1: Well, I'm focused on making sure that we do everything we can to make the case for these two important revenue sources for the city of Chicago. Obviously, uh, we have Um, uh, contingency plans and scenarios, but I want to focus on the possible and not a doomsday scenario.
0: But for taxpayers who want to be prepared for perhaps a property tax increase, what are some of the contingency plans you're looking at right now?
1: Well, it it really depends on what actually happens uh, in Springfield. And we obviously have um, looked at a lot of different options that we um, can pull. And obviously, I've been very clear that we can't take property taxes off the table if we don't get the help from Springfield that we need. But I want to focus on making sure that we do everything that we can to get the help that we need from Springfield.
0: Let's go back to the phones. We've got Carla in Rogers Park. Carla, what's your question? Hi there. Um, so I know you were talking about um, trying to encourage people to get back on the CTA and sort of off the, you know, Lakeshore Drive with the Ubers. But I was wondering if there's been
1: any consideration in taking back the, uh, the AB system Because right now, you know, up in Rogers Park, it takes about an hour to get downtown. And previously, we had a system where there was two trains and it would skip some tracks. You can get downtown quickly in like 30 minutes.
0: And you're talking about express trains there. Amir Lightfoot, go ahead. I had to think for a minute about AB.
1: It's been a long time since I... uh, remember that system. But yeah, we're looking at ways in which we can improve efficiencies. We did an announcement um, probably about three weeks ago um, that looks at making a lot of changes uh, in the infrastructure, uh, particularly on the red and purple lines, because the amount of ridership on those lines um, has grown exponentially. So we are looking at ways in which we can make train travel a uh, faster um, and obviously more accessible and and by that I mean literally uh, physically accessible we're uh, the proposal um, that we rolled out. Um, will make sure that every um, train system in the redesign of the red and purple lines is actually ADA compliant and physically accessible to folks. So thank you for that point.
0: Well, let's talk about getting this budget plan passed through city council. Mm-hmm. You need 26 votes. We're hearing some criticisms from progressive council members who wanted to see more money in the budget for mental health services or affordable housing, have some concern about the way the $15 minimum wage uh, push is structured. They want to see tipped employees included in that minimum wage for proposal. What do you need to do to get this budget past city council?
1: Well, we're going to do what, we, what we've been doing, which is to continue um, to be open and transparent about what the plan is. And we spent a significant amount of time prior to the time that we put the final touches on this budget, engaging members of city council. We obviously um, had five separate bud- budget town halls, one focused specifically so that we could hear from youth. Um, We've had an online survey. We get emails and other moments of communication from people all across the city. Everybody would like to fund every single initiative to the fullest amount, but we have to be realistic about what our budget challenges are. To close an $838 million budget gap and looking at the out years where the numbers are equally as daunting, we have to be realistic and also live within our means. My promise to the taxpayers of the city is that we would look to close the gap in the first instance by looking at efficiencies, looking at ways in which we could make city government run more effectively without cutting the quality of service. And I think we've done that. Would we like to have way more money for a lot of every single social initiative that's out there? Yes, of course. But I think we've been smart with the money that we had. Uh, We announced today a doubling, a doubling, Of the amount of resources that we're devoting to mental health services. We've increased exponentially the amount of money that we're putting toward homelessness and affordable housing and and a lot of other initiatives that we know are critically important to really uplift and improve the quality of life of people all over the city. And we did that within this framework of a budget deficit of $838 million.
0: That's Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Mayor Lightfoot, thanks for speaking with us. My pleasure. Well, it's always great to have the mayor in taking questions directly from you. And Keep it tuned to Reset to find out the next time Mayor Lightfoot will join us so you can be part of the conversation. But that's it for today's Reset. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast and tell a friend. We drop shows into your feed six days a week in an easy-to-digest size, just about 20 minutes, and we'll keep you up to date on the important things happening in and around Chicago. Until next time, I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and let's talk again soon. Thank you.